Hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. Today I'm with Miguel and Yiro from Superlist. I got them hot off the Google I.O. Uh, you guys are basically your app, as far as I can tell, has been the talk of the town with all your smooth animations. And I'm happy that uh, Tom gave us a nice introduction to each other. So I'm happy that you guys can get on the show. Uh, why don't you guys just go ahead and say hello? Hey there. Uh, Alan, thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, my name is Miguel. Uh, I've been at Superlist for a year and a half. Currently, I'm um, head of the Flutter team. So having a lot of fun with this uh, awesome team, which Eero is part of, uh, building a Superlist app using Flutter. Uh, before that, I worked at um, Philips Hue, where we also, back then, we went from native apps to uh, Flutter-built apps, which was also like a, quite an interesting journey. Back then, it was just mobile. Now, at Superlist, it's quite focused on desktop without forgetting forgetting mobile, but yeah. Desktop has quite a, let's say, amount of new challenges ahead of us. So, you're saying desktop has new challenges for you, like when you were working with? Oh yeah, yeah. Going from just using Flutter for mobile to uh, using Flutter to build desktop apps, and and how the framework is kind of also growing uh, to support those uh, those platforms like macOS. Even now, they're kind of still solving issues with keyboard shortcuts and. IME support and so forth. And, and as you're developing, you're encountering all those interesting challenges. Uh, so yeah, it's an interesting journey as always. And before we forget, it's Euro, is that right? Yeah. Because yeah, we we've been practicing 20 times before the show. Yes, it's it's Euro. And um, okay, I'm also working at Superlist. I'm a principal developer here. And before Superlist, I worked at uh, two and a half years at Reflectly as a front-end lead and been doing Flutter since 2017. And yeah, thanks for having us. And by the way, we're not the only people working at Superlist. We were just two people that just happened to be on this podcast. So we also have a really nice team of other people that have also worked quite a lot on Superlist, not just us. Yeah, we, we all know Daniel, right? So Daniel actually applied to be an intern at my company a year or so ago, and it just didn't work out, I think, due to COVID, et cetera. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry about that. Lucky for us, I guess. Uh, yeah, Daniel is great. Could be. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I never worked with him, so maybe maybe I dodged a bullet. I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, things that worked out the way they worked out, but... I think it's good that we got to meet him and he kind of gave you guys a little bit of a push, I think, because he messaged me saying something about, I forgot what it was why he messaged me, but I think he said, yeah, I'm working over at Superlist. And I said, really? Those guys, they never got back to me. Yes. We were busy. <laughs> or we had something <laughs> something on our table like we always do. So sorry about that. No, 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 no need to be sorry. I understand. It's crazy busy. Everybody's busy around this time. But you guys have been super busy, right? Because like, let's, let's kind of rest the Superlist app for a moment, right? Um, I think the first thing that really became very uh, popular or whatever was about like your um, your main website actually is pretty decent looking itself, right? It's not written with Flutter, right? No, it's not Flutter. The, so we, we had, actually this is a second iteration of the website. The first one was also had quite some attention. Uh, I, I don't know what they used to, to develop that. And this one was written with Webflow, but it's really nice looking and it also really nice on brand so it, it it's coming out really nice and then it actually it's a nice platform to expose the product actually that they really nailed it the team that was behind it so is there no plans to rebuild your website with flutter then not for the foreseeable future yeah i guess it's like we had a redesign just before Google I.O. of the website and it was so super fast to do it. And I guess the idea is that if we have product people or design people or marketing people would, who usually don't know Flutter, they can just update it themselves or something. Um, okay, so why don't we talk a little bit about like, uh, so how, what is Superlist kind of relationship with Flutter, right? Because you guys aren't using it for everything. Uh, how long has Superlist been around for and have they always been using Flutter from the beginning? Because, I mean, obviously your website's not using Flutter, so I'm just trying to understand about the relationship between Flutter and Superlist. The, the, the actual app, so the, 
let's say the front end yeah, has been always with Flutter. So Superlist started roughly two years ago that like the first activity started within the company. Like we had, let's call it a team that was up and running maybe somewhere between a year and a half and a year from uh, back from now. Uh, and, and we're always kind of building on top of what whatever was there and using Flutter. So at least the front end has been with Flutter. The website, web technology is not Flutter, uh, but the app itself, it, there was a big investment from our uh, founding team into actually going with Flutter and yeah, using it for obviously for Mac OS, Windows and mobile platforms. And who knows, perhaps Linux, uh, we don't close the door to that, but it's also not our immediate priority. But yeah, I think since the beginning, there was a huge investment with Flutter. Even hiring was very much centered in getting people with Flutter knowledge to actually bootstrap development and, and get a uh, product out there. Well, you guys have been investing huge into Flutter, right? I remember talking with Matt and he was showing off the super editor, which is like outrageously beautiful and very complicated. Like it is, and and the editor is like, um, I mean, you guys are obviously using it, right, to to edit all the content. Yes, yeah. So that's one of the things that we wanted to do different in the pro like aside from task management, was to have a possibility to have kind of rich content in your lists that you could make something almost like a document that you can share with people that has your tasks. So that's always the core of the app. And in that case, rich text editing was just a must-have. But if you look currently at Flutter, you have text fields, but those are like they're the the what they are capable of doing. It's quite narrow in terms of functionality. If you compare with a Word document, you can have multiple elements, like let's call it document nodes, that you have a paragraph and you have a heading, and you can apply. Uh, different text attributions like bold and italic. All those features are not built into text field. That's not the purpose of that widget. And hence, building something like Super Editor, which Matt has been uh, doing a great job bringing that forward. Uh, so that was kind of something that we we needed in order to bring this capability to the to, to Super List. At the end, we we, we didn't have the experience on our team to build that. So we, we, we looked into the community. We talked with a few experts, which Matt uh, was also very interested in this topic. And we ended up uh, sponsoring uh, him and his uh, Bounty Hunters initiative to actually build and maintain this, uh, uh, this super editor. Sorry, Alan. No, no, I'm just very curious about like, I mean, the part that always is difficult for me to understand is like, how do you make an editor like open source, but yet you still need it like usable for your own stuff? You know what I mean? Because like you have, you know what you want, right? But at the same time, it sounds like you really want to also open source a bunch of that effort. So how do you focus on something that can be usable by others, but then still fit what you want? Does that make sense, that question? It, it, it does. Yeah, we, we but now the answer is <laughs> with with the uh, open source the editor, we, it's just open. Um, and then of course the parts that are specific to Superlist. So the so the whole editor as we use it, it's open source. But of course, in within Superlist, we built some features on top of it, which might be open source or not, or not features, but you know, like Flutter is open source, but Superlist is not, not. So in the same way, Super Editor is also open source. You can do exactly the things that we want to do in Superlist with Super Editor, but we're not sharing all that code. We're just sharing the rich text editor code. But it's, it's also challenging to evolve Super Editor to fit the needs of, let's say, Superlist. But it's done in a nice way because, as as you can see, it's open there. It's out there. Even API changes, they're just open discussions in GitHub. If you go to the super editor um, repo, and you'll see the discussions. And in this case, Matt is putting forward some of those changes. Other people can also put them. And, and there are other companies that also use super editor that they actually sponsor at this point 
features into Super Editor. So Matt is, in a way, moderating the requirements from the different clients, different users, and trying to make sure that we evolve or that Super Editor keeps evolving without I don't know, completely breaking Superlist or, or breaking one of the other uh, apps. Uh, and that so far, it, it is challenging, like with any, it's like a mini Flutter project at a very small scale, but Flutter by itself as a framework, it, it, it goes with the same like They have to support all kinds of clients, but at the same time, they have to evolve the APIs. And how do you do it? It's just like open communication and uh, inviting the right people to participate in those discussions. Uh, and, and that's what, in this case, Matt has been proactively doing. Now, how do you decide what things you want to open source and what you don't want to open source? I mean, you're using super super editor underneath, but then you're building on top of it. So how do you figure out what you want to release, what you don't want to release? Sometimes it's more like, imagine I would go to Matt and I would say, hey, Matt, we would really love to do this. Uh, like there's something that we want to do for super list and we think that it's super editor. Matt sometimes replies back, says like, no, that you can do it on your end, and it's not something that we should provide to everybody, or it shouldn't be there because it's too specific, too super list specific, and and that's a very good point. You don't want to grow the the what do you say the API too big that it becomes kind of a Frankenstein, or even in terms of functionality, it should be also kind of extensible, plug and play, and so and so forth. Um, and, and some things we might could potentially add there, but we could also say, no, this is really like IP stuff. It's really our intellectual property or something that really sets us apart. And we don't want to make this as part of Super Ed. That's always a possibility which we have. Uh, but but I think for the, for the vast majority of things which are like general purpose, we always wanted to make it as part of some open source project such that others can also use it. If there's something that we say, this is what sets us apart, then, okay, that's something that we we'll probably try to uh, keep it to ourselves. And sometimes there's also some really generic stuff that cannot still be uh, open sourced and super editor. Or, I mean, the example can, but something like serializing a document into JSON and back, or like, I don't know, like the collaborate, making the editor collaborative don't know how to pronounce that word. It would make super editor to, into two opinionated things. So like those things usually are just left in the example app, but not in the super editor itself. Because it's hard to make a really generic um, APIs for that, I guess. Okay, now I think I want to move on to uh, the most important part of this whole conversation, which is your app, right? You guys already let this slip, and I guess it's okay to talk about uh, the video that was shown, right? Isn't the actual app as it's known at this moment, right? It's kind of more of a prototype demo, but that's the direction you're going into. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's 100% correct. Um yeah, I let the cat out of the bag. I felt like everybody was very sad when I said that. <laughs> it's not like 100%. Like, it's not like we have a Flutter create and then we just... So the app is like the material app that we get and then we have this fancy video. It's more like we, we do have some like really fancy animations on the video that we haven't built yet. But the app looks like that though. Yeah. Overall, yes, but there are some things there which we're still kind of in the process of making. Uh, but there's also some of the cool things, some of the distinguishing elements that you saw in the video that we already have in the product, which is great, like the uh, the navigation, the, the, the stack navigation with, with the cards uh, that you can say I have a list and then that list has a task and you open that task and the task has a subtask and you keep just drilling down the hierarchy of tasks uh, and then you can just scroll horizontally back and forth. Uh, so yeah, that's something that was already built in, which is, it, it, and it's a nice concept and it works really well. And it, I mean, the app to me, it looks the same as the video. There's just like, for example, the, like, oh, if there are three people typing in that one, uh, we call them lists, but you might call it the document, like multiple people 
typing on that. Uh, the crazy smooth gradient effects with the floating people names. We're in the process of implementing that right now. It will look the same way, but we just needed to do something there. I mean, we are using Flutter, right? So I'm sure you can do it however way you guys want to do it, because that's the one thing about Flutter. It's like, you want it that way, you can have it that way. It's Whose slogan is that? Is that McDonald's or Burger King or something? I think it's Burger King. Do it your, have, do it your way. Have it your way. <laughs> yeah, is that Burger it's King? It's also a song. But actually, now I'm kind of curious though. When you guys did the video, do you know was that just like made on using like Adobe Premiere or something, or was that specific software you guys use? I'm kind of curious. That I also, I I, I don't know. It's it's pure ignorance now. I I honestly don't know uh, how some of those animations were prototyped. Yeah, if you guys can share, I think that would be really great. And maybe you can add us, and we can forward it because like. Um, I think as developers, we always want to be able to show off some designs and stuff. Like, I think the only one that everybody's using is Rotato, but I mean, that's not as nice as what you guys showed off in the video. Have you guys ever heard of Rotato before? No. You could basically slap like a image or, or a, um, like a screenshot or, um, a video of your app running onto a, a phone model and you could spin the phone around and it looks kind of nice. But once you see it a couple of times, you always know everybody's using Rotato and it's a little bit annoying, but... I was just kind of curious about how to prototype. It's so hard to prototype like animations to people, right? That's the other thing I'm interested in showing people too, is how you can kind of prototype this kind of stuff. I heard the name Premiere uh, like somewhere around Superlist, but I'm not sure if that was a tool used. So I cannot confirm it really. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Um, Like, okay. So I'm kind of curious about like, this is kind of lean back into the same question I just, or same thing I just talked about, which is like, when you guys need to do all these animations, right? How does your designers actually tell you guys, okay, this is what I wanted to do? Like, do they literally sit next to you and tell you? Or do they actually give you a, a video and say, do this? Usually it's a video, right? Or like in Figma, we might have some values or some curves, like, okay, it should look this way with this curve and this duration and stuff like this. Yeah, they, they, they know, we, we, we use Figma on the design side. Uh, for prototyping slash also specking uh, how the product should look like. And, and, and there we do have, <clears throat> sorry, those animation primitives. So what kind of curves, durations, and all kinds of, yeah, math that would be uh, used under the hood. Um, and usually they do build a lot of the prototypes there with the animations that they intend and you can actually extract a lot of, you can even just record the prototype as, is run, as it is running and you can try to reverse engineer sometimes, but usually with the, those primitives, you can actually get it right, most, most of it, um, yeah. Okay, I didn't know you could do that. I know with Figma, supposedly you can somehow kick out a design, suck it in with Figma or with uh, with Flutter somehow. There's like an export function or something. I think I've seen something. You mean like really to go from something in Figma directly to, to Flutter code, right? Yeah, there's supposed to be. Yeah, there's a there's a a plugin for that, but I don't know how good it is. I mean, it sounds like you guys are obviously not using it. Yeah, I think I think it's not maintained at this point. I've seen something, but then it felt deprecated when I looked at it maybe a year ago. Yeah, we haven't used that stuff. Yeah. You guys just look at it. You just look at it and eyeball it. That looks like a container with some blue stuff on it. Yeah. I, I don't know how those things work, but uh, it's just, well, I would be happy to be proved wrong. But like if it's a, okay, here's a, some component. And then what you get out is like some stack with positioned element top offset 1.76 or something, then, you know, like what I'm trying to kind of say that does it actually produce like really nice code or something that does look the same way, but the code is kind of, so, so it would be like Dreamweaver and front page all over again, you know? Now, have you guys seen Codelessly? We actually had them on the show, Codelessly. Codelessly? I've heard, but I've never used. Yeah, you should check it out. Uh, the day uh, we had the creator on the show, he actually sucked in a Figma design. Of course, uh, just like all live demos didn't work out 100%. 
but his code actually looked decent when it came out. I, I have to say it looked pretty decent. So it could be something there for you guys. That's a Figma plugin also. We're currently looking into another tool called uh, like experimenting and, and see how far we can stretch, which is Supernova. And Supernova also has this kind of model which you import some Figma files, one, multiple ones. And it's meant, it, it's more meant for actually making the bridge between Figma and Flutter, but for design systems, such that you have your colors, your fonts, your whatever, I don't know, like design tokens, you, you like border radius, icons, I don't know, everything. And that you can easily import them into Supernova and then Supernova with some uh, build automations, you can actually create a pull request which spits out the, the Flutter code for, for those things. But they also use it to build uh, documentation for the design system. And maybe in the future, they might actually export actual components, like an actual widget for a button or for a list tile out of a designing Figma. They're not there yet. Uh, but yeah, that, that like for, so one thing, like I think honestly, it's like you really take a prototype, like a prototype of an app in, in Figma and it spits out a functioning app, right? That's more or less, as I recall, what they want to do. And Supernova, it's really for having a design system. So having all those building blocks, which you can define in a Figma file and making sure that you get the code and you can use them without much effort to build the app in code. Uh, and, and, and the level at which you want them, whether it's just design tokens or actual components, I think that's a bit up to whoever uses it, but for now we just use it for tokens and uh, let's see how Supernova evolves, but it, it does look like a promising tool. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, I can, I always have a difficult problem to make like that theme widget. It's like hard for me to figure out how, which thing should I add? Like which one should be a header one, which one should be a header two, all this kind of stuff. So are you saying that you can plug in some of your, your stuff into here and this will actually pop out like the, the theme stuff for, for Flutter? I don't think it does the theme stuff. It's just, just uh, like, so that you would have like a super list colors dot brand purple or something, and you would have all the fonts and icons and everything. But the theme stuff, I don't think it puts out that. It, it, it's like the, uh, is it? I think it's a class, right? The colors class from material, which has like the red, white, and other. So this would kind of produce a class for colors, which have all those uh, static members and you would have something for uh, font styles. Uh, mostly you can, I think you can also export assets. So if you have in your design system in, in Figma, you have a bunch of SVGs for icons and you make them exportable, you can actually same way, I think you could have some kind of automation that takes those icons and just creates a pull request and places them in the right folders with the right names in your Dart project. So it's 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 kind of just making the bridge between Figma and and your code a bit more effortless for, for design system stuff. Um, but it does not, for instance, go as far as creating your uh, theme data class and how it. Yeah, I think that you will still have to do it manually at this point. Sounds like a whole way of somehow bringing together like a brand from a design. Is that right? Yes. It's it's kind of like usually the, the, the simple use case we kind of mentioned when we're kind of looking into this kind of tool design. Okay, so designer A wants to change a color because it's going to make our product look nicer, right? Like now, if, if like he thinks about that and he makes something into Figma, he can't publish a new version of that design system in Figma, but nothing happens unless he goes and he talks with the right developer and that developer makes a PR. And, and there's quite a lot that happens and, and sometimes it's just lost or people forget to do it or forget to mention or assume that somebody else actually was paying attention to new versions being published. Uh, and this is just a way to bridge that. You say like, okay, I make a change in Figma, I publish, and I automatically get a pull request on my Dart repo. Could be an icon, could be anything else there. 
which is, it's quite handy when, when you start scaling up the project and, and with people as well, like more designers working on the Figma files, more developers working on the dark code. It helps to have this kind of uh, uh, streamlining of changes. So this is, this integrates directly with Dart, you're saying? Sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, Supernova. So, so you have like a few, so you, you're able to import files, you're able to add documentation to your design system, and then they have this capability, which is, they call it integrations or build, uh, something like that, in which you say like, okay, if this Figma file or if this design system that I have here in Supernova gets published, gets a new version, then I'm going to automatically open a pull request on that repository using this specific uh, code exporter. So they already come built in with a couple of, uh, with a few exporters for different platforms. So uh, I think some iOS native stuff, some Android native, I think even also also web and Flutter, uh, which means that you could even, let's say you have a design system which serves whatever your technologies your company has, and you could actually just have all these uh, integrations that say, okay, I open a pull request with the new colors on my web repo uh, for, because of my website. So I want to use those colors there, or I open a pull request on my uh, Flutter repo for my front end. And I don't know, I might have for a weird reason, uh, a native app running around, which also uses those colors, you would be able to also open that pull request automatically. So it immediately kind of uh, broadcasts those changes, which is uh, quite handy. Okay. Sorry, Euro. What were you going to say? Or sorry, not Euro. Sorry. Euro. <laughs> yeah, it, it's okay. No, I will never forgive you. Um, so like for, as for the teaming part, like we, we don't use the material team. So we have like this super list team with super list team data. And then we have like, because we have our, our own kind of thing, we could shove that somehow into the material team, but it would not be that obvious. So we just have our own team and team data and all this stuff. Actually, actually one thing is, you, the, the, so they have those code exporters, right? And then there's one for Flutter. It's, it's also open source, so you can actually fork it, and make whatever changes you want. Like if you don't like the name conventions that are built into that exporter, you can just change it. And you could potentially even just make it such that it exports your thin data class if you want. Like so, so you could go as far as you want with those code exporters. We, we haven't gone that far. I think we just tweaked some class names just for the sake of uh, being in line with our own naming conventions. But yeah, you could go quite far with it, I think. Okay. Um, now I kind of want to talk a little bit more about like the, the desktop app, right? You guys had a, I think you guys had a mobile app for some time and then you guys decided to obviously get into a desktop app. Um, like what was the challenges going from mobile to desktop? Well, we are um, what, what, what challenges do we have? Like, I, I guess you have more perspective on this i'm more like there's no it took us some quite some time to kind of be like okay what is the way to like build responsive screens and like okay how do we do this do we actually do this like if device is mobile then do that and otherwise display this one but i guess we want to go to the direction where it's actually just adapting to the screen size so like, there's no, or can I say there's no examples? Maybe I just haven't found, but that there are not that many examples of like, okay, here's a, the same app on mobile. And then here's the same app scaled on desktop with a really nice clean examples and clean code, because of course you can make it happen, but yeah, we took some time as a team to figure out those things. Yeah, that, that's one thing that I think you'll find many different ways of doing it. And then, and, and yeah, as a team, I think we also struggled a bit there. We're kind of getting to a point where it's getting comfortable, but it's figuring out which, where do you start actually, uh, 
where is it like specific per platform or whatever logic you want, whether it's platform or is it the size of screen and where does it become common? Like where do you have specific widgets for a desktop and a mobile and where does a widget itself knows, know how to handle that itself, that it adapts the spacings and then sometimes the elements and how you should do show them in a column or in a row. Uh, so, so that's a challenge, not per se. I, I wouldn't say that, that that's a desktop challenge. You have that as well if you go and you want to properly support uh, iOS or, or, or a phone kind of format and, and tablet. Like if you go to a iPad Pro, which is like, a, you could consider a, a, almost like a laptop kind of screen, uh, we already would have those challenges. Um, but I, I think within Flutter, the like there's a lot of stuff that on a, on a desktop app you would expect functionality, which are kind of inherent to the platform. Uh, the menu bars, like those bars, which if you have an app running, like now I have Chrome open and I see like the that Apple icon and then it says Chrome and then file edit and all those things, which some of them are generic. You'll find them in all apps, but there are also things specific to the app running there, right? I think only recently, um, Flutter released support for that. Uh, same thing with if you want to have a, a, a tray icon, like on, on the right side of your um, screen bar, like where you have the, the clock and then in your notification center, that's also something which doesn't come built in. Uh, Multi-window support. So, and it's another diff different thing to have like, okay, I have two windows running Flutter with some UI, but then like, okay, I have two windows running Flutter. So you have this, like this menu bar app on the right, upper right corner. You can open Superlist and maybe do something from there. And then you have the same app open in the main window. And both of those apps like are sharing the same local SQLite database and SQLite doesn't really support like writing from multiple ISO isolates at the same time in parallel. So like, stuff like that then comes to play. Yeah. Or, or even one thing you would expect in most desktop apps, just a normal, uh, is it the right name? Like a context menu, you right click on something and you get that just menu, which it would usually overflow the boundaries of your window. So if you have your app window and you do right click on the edge, it actually will open partially outside of the window, which in, practice, it's almost like just opening a separate window just for the sake of showing that menu. Like none of that is yet, like this last few things, multi-window support, the context menus, they're not yet supported uh, by the framework, I believe. Track and drop as well, like across windows. Yeah. And also like if, you, if you're dragging something, like I guess the term is like drag avatar or something. So that if you're dragging something in inside of a desktop window, it works with Flutter, obviously, like this drag, drag and drop widgets and those tools. But if you throw it, uh, drag it to the edge, it will be clipped because it's not like rendered outside of the Flutter view. So, but all this stuff, can I see all all this this stuff? But most of this stuff is handled by native shell, and some of it we needed uh, like Matei, who is working on native shell, to build it for us. Like that SQLite stuff that we we get share a uh, local SQLite database between multiple windows without some corrupted data. Yeah. So. Native Shell is actually a nice way to bring all those uh, function, like features which are like platform specific features which are not yet built into uh, Flutter. Uh, just to bring it through some, uh, they're actually built in Rust and made available to, to Flutter. So yeah, I, I would love to actually go into the details of how Native Shell is built and working internally, but I, I'm totally uh, not up to the challenge. So if you would like to know more about that, you can always uh, have a chat with Mate. He would be more than happy. 
Um, I think I tried to get him on the show before um, because actually I think I reached out to him a while ago because I'm also doing uh, a Rust podcast. And so I tried to reach out to him, I think, about it, but I didn't hear back. Is he working at Superlist? Yes. Well, as a freelancer, I guess. So. Yeah. Okay. Do me a favor. Can you bug him tomorrow or today yes. at work? Yes. I will travel to Slovakia and poke him and poke him on Facebook. He will... Uh... He'll say poke him on Facebook is usually much easier. Yeah, we'll we'll send them this like one minute of the of the podcast so they can see the the request. Yeah, As, uh, I I've actually I have a course about how to integrate Rust and Flutter together. I think they're really two great technologies, uh, and they can work out pretty well. But the only thing is just the idea of isolates is just a little bit weird to understand because it's not like a thread, right? It's just like a thing that's running, and you don't really have too much control over it. But it's still pretty interesting. So you guys are also using Native Shell underneath that, it sounds like. Yeah. So what is it that Native Shell brings you that you can't just use with like normal platform channels or something? Uh, this part I'm not quite understanding. So we we can, there's a bunch of stuff in Native Shell built in, for example, the track avatar thing that I told you. And I guess that stuff could be a plugin, but the thing is if you have plugins and then you need that to run on Mac OS and Windows and Linux, then you have like three different I guess like languages that you're programming in and I'm not, not an expert this, but that's how I understand it. Like you have Cocoa for macOS stuff and then you have something else for Windows and those are like separate like build tools and stuff. But if you do it with Rust and then you can import some Rust uh, wrapper or whatever it's called for Windows so that you have all the all your Windows APIs in Rust, and then you have your Mac OS APIs in Rust, I guess, and then you can call them within the same native shell Rust code. It's beneficial that way. But I think Matei can expand on this. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I would love to have him to talk a little bit more about this. I think I also know somebody else that worked on this or something. He was talking to me, Florian Gilcher, but I'm sure you guys don't don't know him. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, okay. Um, I think the, the next thing I want to talk about was like with Tom, right? Tom built the routing solution that you guys decided to go with. Why did you guys decide to go with his routing solutions versus others? I think Beamer is a more popular one. And then uh, how is it that you guys can hook into and into the stuff and, and do all these crazy, awesome animations? So I think you guys also had to convince Tom to make some pretty big changes to, to his plugin. Is that true? Yeah. So... I guess Tom initially was hired to do some job through Codemate and now nowadays like Rebel App Studio or something, like do a task with, um, was it like mobile and desktop navigation because they are different so that we could have unified navigation with both because he had experience with, um, with this, all this navigation stuff and all this um, mobile desktop stuff. And then we were like, okay, can you make it happen? And then he was fast, fast with it. And we were happy with the result. And he decided to use Shroud Master there, I guess. But I also had heard about Shroud Master before. Um, what was it like? Go router was a thing at least. I'm not sure about Beamer, but it was like, okay, it worked for us. We're happy with it. Let's continue using it. And then this um, card navigation thing, maybe I should explain it a little bit. So like, <clears throat> so we have a sidebar in our app and then you can choose like, okay, open document A from the sidebar and then that appears. And from within document A, you can say that, okay, it has a task open that one so now you have like a document on the left side and then you have like this maybe i can actually try sharing the screen uh for those people that are yeah please just be verbose don't worry about talking too much this is a podcast after all yes so like if this is showing like this is what we have in our video so like ah not Brandon's face, uh, like this, this, this part here, like you can have document and then you can open that task there. 
which opens task details. Then you can open subtask details and you can potentially go infinitely like deeper and deeper and deeper and have full on task exception. Uh, so like that's a separate thing and it's a widget called card layout, which is, it takes in a list of widgets, just like a column or row takes a list of widgets. And then it's a stateful widget that knows how to animate any change to the list of its children. And inside it's like a horizontal list view. And then we, uh, we just like, for example, if you add, add an item to it, um, it will figure out that, okay, I need to scroll to the end. And then it will call scroll controller to uh, animate to this position. If you remove a child from it, it will do the reverse of that. And yeah, it, it's a little bit more complicated than it sounds, but it's only as widgets, not some render object stuff. And at first, like I built this prototype and then I had this 100 lines of code class called fake navigator that had these APIs that I needed from RouteMaster, but I didn't know if RouteMaster had it. So first I built this horizontal scrollable list of cards with fake navigator. And then we were like, okay, it works. And then uh, I went to Helsinki, sat with Tom, was like, hey, replace fake navigator with something that actually supports actual routes so that you can say like push, like push named kind of uh, documents, ID, tasks, this ID, and Tom then kind of built it and built that support for RouteMaster. And the, it was a little bit problematic because Flutter's navigator itself, it kind of, if I remember correctly, it assumes that the whole thing takes the whole screen, kind of. Oh, am I talking out of my ass? Maybe not. We, we just needed to kind of tell them to build this thing that, okay, like give us the list of widgets or lists of routes, and we will then render those ourselves. And uh, yeah, then he did that and replace that ugly fake navigator class with uh, Mr. calls in a couple of days. Also one th couple of things that we, like why, why you initially we went with RouteMaster and what actually Tom helped us uh, achieving with the, like the changes that he made to RouteMaster after uh, chatting with us was like, we, in, in the app when you look like you have a list and then the list you can open a task and that was kind of what initially we had. We didn't have this kind of multiple, as you know, mentioned, task exception that you could go several levels deeper. Uh, but you would basically have like a deep link for that setup of a list with a task. So you would have a actual um, human readable deep link that you could open from your browser. It's like document, this ID slash task, this idea and now we actually have that but with a bigger depth we can actually have several tasks in that and, and, and basically i could send you a uh a deep link for whatever entry that i want with a a list and several tasks and you could actually just open it on your end given that you have permission to access um and that's something that we gained by using uh route master probably we would be able to achieve that with, uh, let's say, the other solutions you mentioned, Beamer or GoRoute. But because, the, the let's say, the relationship with Tom in, in building these things were going so well, we also didn't see the uh, the need to... I, I think Tom also mentioned another one, which we actually were really into, which was like having a navigation history. So the same thing as you have with a browser, that you have like the, the, the back and forth or forward uh, buttons. We, we can basically using RouteMaster do the same thing in Superlist. You can go from list A and then list B. And then if you open task one in list B, I can actually press back and I close that task detail. So I only see the list. And then if I do back, I go back to the first list and I can do forward again. So you can 
sometimes you're in that working state that you are navigating between different things and you remember, oh, like a few minutes ago, I was in some place which I don't know exactly how to get there. You can just press back, 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 back until you go there and then you can even move forward until the place you were. Uh, and that's something that also uh, Tom built at the time. Uh, we, we, let's say a request from Superlist, but he built it into uh, route master and, and it works really well in the product. Yeah, and I mean, route master itself, it works nicely. So like at the moment we don't have, uh, let's say Beamer or GoRouter supports what we need. It's not really worth it to, to uh, refactor to something else. For now, at least. Okay. I just remembered what I wanted to ask now. So you guys are using the same code base for both your mobile and your desktop app, is that right? Yes. Okay, one of my biggest questions is, how do you actually reliably separate and maintain code that's got desktop and mobile stuff in it at the same time? Because, you know, the adaptive way to do stuff is so complicated, right? Because, like, you can have right-click, you can have swiping, you can have... How do you guys separate your code so that it's easy to maintain and you know where things are if you want to make it fixed for like only for desktop or something how do you do that like if you have a small screen like if you have an ipad pro versus a small screen laptop i mean they're very similar maybe ipad pro could be actually bigger than that you can't just rely only upon the size of the screen right we we do have that mobile app and it's um it's in the like we also went through design on that so like we are still solving some of those problems, but I guess we will also share about that when we solve it in a blog post or something. But like, that's that's completely valid. Like what if you swipe something, uh, you might still be on a very narrow uh, desktop window and then you would need right click. But you know what, is that a problem actually? Because I, you, you don't have right click on mobile anyway, so you can still have it that way. So you basically Burger King it, have it your way again. Just no, just have have all everything there. I guess one one thing that would have to be disabled based on platform would be only the swipe. Then I guess in that example, I know that this is like an example, but. Why would swipe have to be disabled based on platform? Are you talking about like iPhone versus iPad kind of thing? Or what do you mean by platform in this case for swiping? I mean, like if you're on a desktop, do you want to swipe from the right or because you already have the right click menu there? Uh, I see. So you can still swipe on desktop and on mobile. So that's why swiping may be a tricky bit to, to handle. Well, I mean, it, it would work, but like does the product uh, side of Superlist want us to be able to, let's say that if, if we had that swipe thing, do we want to be able to swipe a list item to the right to reveal some actions? Or do we want to say that on desktop, you actually right click to have this action? I see. So I guess it depends on product as well. Like this is still one of, it, it's not even, I think it's just how each and every team will actually solve this in their own product. And it's nothing to do with Flutter. It's just like, it's really complex. In a sense, you have, I, I could say I have an iPad and I can actually attach a physical keyboard with a, 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 a trackpad on that iPad. And although it's a mobile device and it has touch screen, it has all the other goodies that uh, a desktop has, right? And, and that's where it starts. You can even have, uh, like, like we were giving the example of swipe. Swipe, maybe not as much as in mobile, but in desktop, it's still a valid if you have a trackpad. Like if I go to the mail app in in a, um, in a Mac device on a, on, a, on a desktop device, and I do swipe to the left on a on a email entry on my list. It actually gives me the same. It gives me like this delete. It shifts and it gives me the delete button, which is something I would initially expect only on mobile, but you can still have those different elements there. So it, it gets really tricky. It, it's, it's both the platform. Some things are very specific to platform. It's about the input uh, device. Is a touch or is it mouse? Um, but also the keyboard, do you have like just a, a normal, you know, like a mobile keyboard or do you have a physical keyboard? 
it, it, it's like combining all these different variables plus the screen size and, and those are probably all the the different ang uh, different axes for building a fully uh, responsive uh, product which gets really really complicated now do you guys have to always explain these like crazy limitations to designers sometimes and let them know that sometimes these things just don't make sense I'm, I'm not sure if you have a unified opinion on this but at least from my perspective i was to say like the designers and product like okay what's the best way you think this is this supposed to happen and work and then let's implement that and i'm sure usually it's possible it depends on the designer right sometimes it's like no no we i, I have this is my this is my idea you know we have to do it like this and sometimes it's like well i have a b c which one's easier for you mm -hmm. so i've had different it depends on the design it also depends on if they really care about that specific thing but sometimes i had some desires no 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 the color has to be like this it doesn't look like that and it's like well listen this is a website it, I, I can't get that print color on here you need to understand that this is the limitation of the web okay give me a break you know i've had these kinds of conversations where yeah. you know you have to kind of let people know hey this is or you could say, hey, listen, that, that looks cool, but it's just not usable because, you know, whatever, right? Like you can't swipe on uh, whatever, I don't know, make up, make up whatever you want. Yeah, of course. Like, okay, so same, same answer that I said before, but with the exception that if you actually do trust your designers and product people, which I, I, I do. But, but it's kind of like, I think as it is difficult for us sometimes to figure out things in code, it's also complex for a designer to take into consideration all the the patterns from all platforms right i i remember working like before superlist that we when we still had the mobile apps in uh, at philips U, that a designer sometimes was really following close for instance the what do you call the, the design system design patterns for for apple there's some fancy name for that stuff i don't recall human interface guidelines or something that one that the, the human not dog interface human. but human but human exactly um and, and and later on you would realize like oh but the design was so much kind of focused on that platform that when it gets to android and android has its own patterns navigation and, and material and, and so forth that it, it's not easy for us sometimes organizing things in code but i also understand that it's not easy for a design person to capture all the different uh, specifics of of all platforms that they have to support, right? And, and that's always like a continuous uh, continuous improvement. Which is kind of oh, maybe thought about that. What about this? And, and and eventually you start building up this awareness, but it also takes time there. Yeah, I think we've had enough t good time ripping on uh, designers for a moment, but uh, yeah, I've always kind of curious about how how to best de design a multi uh, adaptive app, multi platform app, because to me it's 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 just hard to figure out because screen size is no longer a way that you could do it because some devices are getting bigger and bigger. Remember the phablet days like ten years ago? You know, we're still we're kind of going down that path again with some of these foldables, right? But uh, I mean, everybody wants a big screen, but they want to put it in their pocket. So I think foldables are definitely going to be something interesting. And let's speak of that. Are you guys actually taking a look at that too, or no? Foldable devices. Yeah, because I mean, that's I mean, I don't think anybody's really seriously looking at them. But for me, like I bought a foldable, like I have a foldable over here, the Samsung Fold. I think this is definitely the future because I always want uh, like an iPad I can bring with me that I can put it into my pocket, right? Because it's just so useful. I mean, you need a big screen sometimes. You can't show a funny video to your friend on a small, like, you know, iPhone. You want to be able to have like an iPad and show people, right? Uh, I can't. I, I, I haven't been involved in any discussion or exploration with foldables. Not saying that people aren't actually looking into that. I would assume that they are, but no, I have, like it, it, at least from, let's say development, like app development, we haven't yet dived into that. Some recent changes actually, they make it possible to uh, to handle the, 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 how do you call it, the, the thing in the middle when you fold, and then whether it's folded or not, and whether you want to expand it to both thing, uh, sides, so, I've seen like from one of the last two or three Flutter releases that they publicize that stuff, but we haven't even 
got close to that. We're still the most interesting part. That's coming from Microsoft, right? Which is interesting because they have the Xamarin thing, which we we're a little bit ripping on before we started the podcast. Yeah, they they invest in all fronts. I I, I guess they are they can afford. I think to uh, still I don't know, keep supporting Xamarin, but still exploring stuff like Flutter. I think this foldable stuff is really important. We we should really have foldable phones. Uh, have Superlist sent them to our houses. I think would be really cool to have one as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I. I mean, I, I, there's always more questions I want to ask, but I think the the big stuff is off the uh, top of my head. Is there anything you guys want to say before we we start to sign off? Because I know I'm taking a bunch of your time today. Uh, no, man. Uh, I, I guess like thanks for having uh, us and 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 for actually giving us an opportunity to also uh, talk a bit about what we do uh, on Superlist and to open up a bit you know like the back kitchen what's happening what's not happening what's still missing what challenges we have it's always we, we, we think about that and we talk a lot internally but also expressing this to 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 the outside world is always uh, an interesting experience and, and to also to get your perspective on it it's always uh, cool so yeah thanks you want my opinion or oh, this is this is fantastic you know no, 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 no. Yeah, uh, my, my, my two chihuahuas and wife at home, I never could ask my opinion. You know, this is very nice. It, it was a nice chat. It was a nice chat. No, I'm interested to hear, you know, what you guys are doing because I haven't had the luxury of working on like a multi-adaptive, multi-platform adaptive app before. So I'm always curious about how can I best structure that because it's, I can imagine how spaghetti that can turn into. Well, we intended that to keep, keep, we intend to keep that as less a little amount of spaghetti as possible, and I guess we will share some some of this stuff, either like example apps or blog posts. And yeah, we also doing collabor real time collaboration with Superitor, and maybe we will share something there as well. Because is there like an engineering blog that we can follow to make sure that kind of we don't miss these kind of things? Or I think we should just be following your your Twitter or something. Is Not yet, but uh, maybe like Superlit's hq i guess that's our twitter so like if we ever have an engineering blog we'll post about it there i think it's not an if it's more like when we will have an engineering blog because we have a lot of interesting stuff to share share that is like way beyond the scope of let's say this podcast even unless we want to be here for hours yeah there's cool stuff in the front end but there's also really awesome stuff being done on the back end yeah and I think that there's like enough things that are really of value to share with others, like our lessons learned, where did we bump with our head? Uh, what cool things that have we built? I think there's plenty of there, both from the front end and uh, the back end. Yeah, definitely. I think like, like this uh, responsive stuff. Also like, well, Superlist will be offline first, like, so it completely works offline and then we have this real-time collaboration and the document and stuff so there will be uh interesting content soon tm all right looking forward to it i just i literally just followed it so i'm looking forward to seeing some interesting stuff because i would love to emulate that like you said uh, what do you what do you even call that like, that thing where you can like you clicking and you're flowing along is there a name for that i don't think you said a name clicking and flowing along yeah, yeah, where like you click on, yeah, the what would you call that? Taskception. Yeah, yeah, task taskception. Yeah, now I remember that. I remember you used the word with inception in it. Okay, so task taskception. Why is my English getting so poor? Taskception. It, it's not an official way uh, name. I just made it up, so I'm sure there's an official way a name for it. There is actually. When we were talking about this with Tom, somebody was talking to us about this. They're like, "How do you use this thing?" And I was like, "What is that?" What is that word? <laughs> I, I didn't remember the name of it now. Oh, yeah. I think it was the same person that was on, on your podcast and then some other one, some Emma or somebody, like asking, like, how does this scrollable list view thing was made? We never had the time to answer, but um, I guess we'll also write about it because this was just like five minutes of explaining it. I feel like she needs it for school, like a school report or something, you know, like she's like super desperate trying to get that feature. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate, I admire the, the thing, but it's just like the fact that you remember her name and that you remember she was on my podcast and another one yes, means that she's I really so passionate far. about this. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we got to find her and, and just 
teach her, you know, because she's really dedicated. Yeah, well, yeah, I really wanted to answer that question. I still feel like uh, blog posts would be better than uh, spoken format. We'll get there some sometime. Just make sure you add anybody with Emma on uh, Twitter. Make sure she picks it up. Yes. All right, then. Uh, thanks again for you guys' time. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm looking forward to the actual app coming out and seeing how close we can get to that animations and stuff that you guys made in the video. Thanks for having us. Again, thanks, man.